It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk about Iron Man 2. I'm your host, Chris. And joining me as always are Mac. Hello, how's it going? Jalen. What's good? And Duncan. Glad to be back with you guys, folks. Glad to be here. And today we are going to be discussing the third film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man 2. This is your weekly Tuesday bonus episode of GDT, where we talk about superhero movies and TV shows and go through the MCU movie by movie. Previously, we did Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, both from 2008. And next up, we will be doing Thor next week. Here on GDT, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, Duncan and other host Gardner host the full episode of our show where they interview an indie filmmaker or someone else involved in the filmmaking process. On top of that, we have Monday bonus episodes hosted by Niatifa, where he interviews the cast and crew of the GDT short film titled Nostalgia. If you want to learn more about that, check out those Monday episodes, the newest one released yesterday. Then on Thursday, we have our regular bonus episode where Gardner and Duncan talk about a new TV show, new movie, something relevant, or talk to a guest about a movie of their choice. This week, the Thursday episode is on Kenobi Part 3. And for the next few weeks, Gardner and Duncan will have guests on to talk about that show. Those are all of our weekly episodes, so check them all out. And on top of that, we have a monthly episode releasing the first Sunday of every month, hosted by Duncan, Kari, John, and Stevie P. That monthly episode drops this Sunday, so stay tuned for that. That's what we do here on GDT, and now it is time to talk about Iron Man 2. Before we do, let's do a quick spoiler warning. Spoilers for Iron Man 2 and spoilers for the entire MCU. Anything MCU related is fair game, so if you're worried about any movies or shows being spoiled, turn this off now, go get caught up, and then get back to us. For everyone else, that was your spoiler warning for Iron Man 2 and the entire MCU. So, Iron Man 2 was released in 2010. It stars Robert Downey Jr. reprising his role as Iron Man, Gwyneth Paltrow, Scarlett Johansson, Don Cheadle, and many more. The movie was directed by Jon Favreau, who directed the original and who plays Happy Hogan, and is the third film in the MCU. That's a little background. Now let's get into our opening thoughts. Mac, you want to start us off? So overall for this film, it just felt like another movie in the MCU to me. Like, I really enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Um, Especially watching it when I was 12, I believe, 2010. Yeah, I was 12. However, it wasn't one of the best movies, I think, that's in the MCU. Granted, I am comparing that to everything that we've seen thus far. But yeah, I mean, overall, it was nice to watch. I enjoyed watching it. it there were moments that it was hard to watch Tony be an asshole because I, I feel like you really see that in this movie. I mean, he's really struggling and he doesn't talk to anybody about it. Like he's literally on his deathbed. So maybe if I were on my deathbed, I might be an asshole. I don't think I would be, but that's just who I am as a person. But yeah, I think I think we really kind of highlight or they really kind of highlight the bad parts of Tony in this film. Like I know he does kind of turn himself around towards the end. But overall, I think it was some of the worst parts of him in this film, which is kind of interesting to see like how he ends up being towards like the end of the entire installment. But overall, it was good. I liked how they introduced more of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they became really involved and we began to understand how important they were or they're going to be for the franchise moving forward. I think Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Pepper Potts, she had a much larger role in this film as opposed to the first movie which we all agreed like last time her character was just kind of flat poorly written she wasn't giving a lot of opportunity to to showcase her talent but I think she was given a much larger role and a lot more to work with this time so I really enjoyed seeing her be able to flourish into this really badass take charge CEO woman that we get to see in this movie but overall I really enjoyed it I think that the action was good but it just felt like 
another movie. It wasn't it wasn't crazy wow, but I, I overall I enjoyed it. Jalen, I second everything that Max said. I definitely agree that it just felt like a regular superhero movie. And things that stuck out to me was um, the first movie was an origin story, and this movie kind of showed how. Tony Stark becoming a superhero kind of got into his head and kind of displayed the bad parts of him. Like Max said earlier, it displayed his narcissism and how big his ego was um, during the movie. And I kind of liked how this movie was used to introduce new characters and new dynamics such as S.H.I.E.L.D., Black Widow, the origin story of War Machine. So um, I do understand that this was kind of like still the spark of the MCU. So it kind of like set off those different side stories that I do enjoy throughout the MCU later on down the road. Okay, so I'm hearing tacit praise so far. Duncan, what do you got? I'm here. It's me. Get over it. I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm a lot higher than you guys sound, and I'm not even that high on it. I don't feel like I feel pretty lukewarm on it, but I do think that it's not a piece of shit by any chance and i feel like i've heard iron man 2 and 3 get shit on when people talk about the mcu in general and i'm interested to get to three because we'll actually have a guest on for three who definitely vouches for iron man 3 so we'll talk about that then but i thought this was in a lot of ways an improvement on the first one it's not the first one in the franchise so it's a little bit different you know because when iron man hit it's starting something right and this isn't this is building off of something so it's not gonna have that place in everyone's heart but i do think that maybe it's a more interesting villain i think it's more interesting like we said like pepper gets some stuff to do i mean natasha steals the fucking show dude and i did not remember that and that's probably because i was younger at the time and just was it just went over my head i guess because she will get to it at the end but that fight scene is amazing i think where she just takes everyone out and then like one of the maybe the funniest moments i think in, in any mc movie that i can think of right now where happy's like i got him and then he looks up and then there's like two guys hanging from the ceiling 20 guys laying on the ground and it's like she's very badass i can't wait to talk about that because i have some things that i want to bring up about it too because I, I love that but also have some questions about it but my point is it's an expanded cast here where like i mean don Cheadle's going to be an improvement on pretty much anyone no offense but he's also been the one who we've grown with now so he is Rhodey, right in a lot of people's eyes even though he's not the original Rhodey, obviously but i think he's a better war machine and he's actually gets the chance to do it obviously and he they get him teased early on in this movie and obviously he was teased in the first one where he's like next time and he looks at it but they don't shy away from it they give you him early they give you the natasha reveal is kind of late so you don't get a lot of action with her late but she's in the movie early too you get nick fury early in the movie colson's in it very small amount but in it early and like we guys we said Gwyneth Paltrow is given more to do in this so I think that in a lot of ways it's expanding on it I will say that the CGI looked like it was from 2010 in certain aspects but overall I really had fun with it I can't wait to get into the specifics of it and some of the fight scenes and some of the story also Sam Rockwell's that dude yeah I definitely agree with a lot of what you guys have said so far I think as far as it goes in terms of exploring the character of Iron Man more as kind of an extension of the first film, I think that's really where this film works for me is like just seeing kind of like Jalen said, the weight of being a superhero kind of weighing on Tony and, and, and all of the things in his personal life that kind of start to suffer as a result of it. And I also 
I, you know, I kind of came into this week ready to shit on this movie, but watching it again kind of gave me a better perspective on just the amount of storytelling that, that they actually did. I think the insight into Tony's relationship with his father is super crucial for the character. And seeing that now and, and seeing some of the later scenes in the MCU kind of definitely hit different, like the scenes we get in Civil War where, you know, Tony finds out what really happened to his parents and kind of the impact of his father on him as a person and how their relationship kind of wasn't looked at in its truest light from his perspective. And I think getting a new perspective on that relationship is pretty cool. But I do have to say, like, Duncan, you brought it up. The villain in this movie is definitely more interesting than, than the ones that we've gotten. But we get so little of him. And that is like probably my biggest gripe is that like you have this, you know, Oscar winning actor and Mickey Rourke that feels in a lot of ways kind of wasted in this film. So I am definitely excited to get into talking about it so we can get into the full discussion of the movie now. Speaking of the villain, Ivan Vanko, the movie starts actually kind of straight off from the end of the first film with sort of a different look into the press conference at the end of the first film from Russia, where Ivan Vanko uh, is from. He's comforting his father, Anton, who is dying of you know some disease that that, that we don't know of. But we kind of see that they definitely their family has a relationship to the Stark uh, to the Stark company. There's a bunch of diagrams around their living space that say to start industries on them. And we hear Anton, you know, tell Ivan that it should have been you. And we kind of get this, I guess, an opening look into Ivan's motivation into becoming the villain for this film. And then it cuts to Tony Stark showing up at the at the Stark Expo. So kind of take me through what you guys were thinking through the, uh, the first 10 minutes of the movie. Honestly, I really enjoyed the way that they introduced his character, especially kind of the mystery surrounding it. Like we know that he is connected to the Starks in some way. Very clear, very obvious based off the diagrams and the conversation between he and his father. But I like that they just kind of allude to it and we don't truly understand how they're connected until later in the film. I also like that it cuts from that really powerful and moving scene between a father and son to kind of the showiness that comes with Tony Stark. I mean, he's, he has the whole expo and granted it is like the Stark expo and like he has to be like loud and exuberant. But I think like the juxtaposition between those two scenes is really stark and kind of telling about the different lives that they lead. So I thought that was interesting that they chose to have that at the beginning and then immediately jump to the Stark expo. I, I really thought that was a good move on the filmmaker's part. Okay. Jalen, what'd you think? I definitely second that statement for Mag. I agree that I did enjoy the suspense. You could see like the desperation in Ivan's eyes from after his father passed away about like how angry he was with Stark and how much desperation he had in order to, you know, hint at getting back at him. And um, it's a lot of suspense built up throughout the movie, because honestly, I haven't seen the movie since 2010. So I forgot what the exact motive was. So it was kind of like watching it for the first time, like what's the actual connection, me trying to figure out throughout the movie and everything. So um, I did enjoy the buildup of that. And um, like Mac was saying earlier, the comparison between Ivan and his life and Tony Stark doing his expo and having the flashy life that he had, um, the, the dynamics between those were very exaggerated, but it could kind of tell like that was part of the reason why um, Ivan was so like ready to get back at Tony Stark and trying to do everything in his power to go after him. So um, I definitely like that part. I'll say that I really enjoyed this 
it felt almost like a throwback where we were getting a montage at the beginning and all the names of the actors. I feel like we don't get that anymore. Like they kind of throw you right into it, which can sometimes be good. George Lucas famously did it for one of the first times with Star Wars, where instead of having all the credits at the beginning, which is we're used to getting like the credits at the end, he went right into the action. And that can be fun and everything. But here, this was like felt like very reminiscent of the time period where it's like, all right, instead of getting this, like, you know, we don't have that Marvel logo yet that's running through all the scenes of the MCU because we don't have the MCU yet, really. It's not established yet. We've had only two movies before this. So I really liked the beginning and I liked how we kind of, I know we're saying we didn't get a lot of Mickey Rourke, but I like that we kind of jumped away from him for a while. And then it was like, okay, like when he got back for that race car incident, it was like, okay, yeah, we remember him now. And it's almost like a twist that your brain like is aware of, but forgets about. And then it's like, it comes back and it's like fun to remember it. So for me, it like it really worked and I liked the him watching on the TV as well as that that aspect and a good way to jog your memory and get some exposition out of the way in a fun way I think so it definitely worked at the beginning for me I will say only nominated for an Oscar I believe Mickey Rourke Sam Rockwell Oscar winner so the villains in here do love getting nominated for awards but uh I love I love the one-two punch of, of them I do think that Sam Rockwell is probably the better actor out of the two I think he's probably the best actor in this movie honestly because I just I love Sam Rockwell but maybe not deserving of all his Oscars but definitely a good one-two punch and maybe underutilized both in their roles but I do think that Sam Rockwell gets more of a chance to play like the craziness when he's like yelling at Mickey Rourke and Mickey Rourke gets the chance to do the stoic whiplash in ways and kind of like he does I think he does a really good job of making you kind of feel his like he's kind of like he's not worried about you like he laughs off the guards he's gonna kill them but he's all he's like he's very menacing like he's he's good at portraying that like you're scared of him in a way like way that you believe that he's that kind of guy like he is that guy yeah so i really love the opening scene and i mean don't get me wrong i think the first half of this movie with mickey works inclusion is is really is really good i think he gets a lot of screen time like and not even a lot of screen time but all of his screen time is important kind of like you were saying where we definitely remember him by the time we get to the grand prix and everything i think that first scene is very well acted and i'm like how they kind of they mirror Tony Stark's circumstances. I mean, my perspective on it was that Ivan kind of represents the other side of the tracks, right? Who Iron Man would be if he didn't have access to like all of the the wealth and the connections that his dad had access to, but was like still equally smart because we see Ivan kind of put together on his own, you know, his father dies and then he puts together on his own the arc reactor technology. I'll be a slightly less efficient version, but still clearly gifted mentally and like a good, a good match for Tony Stark at this point in his development as a hero. So I think that definitely sets up like an, an appealing conflict for the rest of the movie. I think seeing his motivation, especially when we get into the the Grand Prix scene, which we'll get into, but just that this guy has has nothing to lose at this point in his mind. His only motivation really is to just tarnish whatever legacy or whatever history that Tony Stark has built. And I think that those are my favorite types of villains. You know what I mean? The ones that are willing to like go down with the ship, so to speak, to accomplish their goals. And I also think that you guys definitely touched on how when we get to the Stark Expo, it's kind of just for me it, it i mean i know i said in the first episode we'd done an iron man that that tony stark is a dirtbag and, and i just the first 10 minutes of this movie just confirmed i'm just like reveling in it because i'm like look at this massive monument to this guy's ego that he's put on and some of the quotes i even like typed down some of them because i was gonna say i'm not gonna say them but like it just stuff where you're just like oh my gosh this guy really is full of himself but from from the start expo we're introduced to another kind of conflict in the story of the movie where it's you know tony's battle against time we see that the same technology that's keeping him alive is also killing him and then we're taken to 
a congressional hearing where to, where the government is basically trying to seize the Iron Man suit for national defense purposes. So as we move into this next phase of the movie, tell me what you guys were thinking. I know he's like a big giant jerk face just needs to have his like nose rubbed in some shit or something to to bring him back down <laughs> to earth but i think some of his lines when they're in the hearing are just phenomenal like he really showcases number one his general control and brains i guess over the government when he like kind of commandeers their video system but i agree he's very egotistical in these scenes and he really kind of shows how much of a jerk he is and his lack of almost care for other people and it's like I, I get it like these are his babies pretty much like he's created these suits and I understand why he wouldn't want to give them up but and I guess this is also to kind of showcase just how big of an asshole he can be but it's like if this is such a serious issue why not at least have like a decent conversation with them you know but I think he's had some of his best lines in this scene at least in this movie to me He's just so witty and sarcastic and you're like, I I found myself amongst the audience and that scene like laughing and cheering him on as he was talking. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that. But yeah, it was, it was interesting to watch. And also like, did you guys notice that I didn't realize that Olivia Munn was in this movie until she popped up and she was like the, the anchor for like, like a one split second. And like looking back on it now is like, I'm rewatching it. I'm expecting her to have a much larger role, kind of like Christine had in the first one, like that other reporter. How about where we don't see her again? I don't know if that's just because this was one of her earlier roles as she was getting into to acting. I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know anything about her filmography or anything like that, but I just thought that was kind of interesting that she's a much larger actress now than she was when this movie came out. And I thought that was kind of interesting to see. I agree with Mac on those scenes. Um, it definitely showed how egotistical and how how egotistical, and, but also funny he is. And for some reason, all of America loved him for that. And I think that was kind of, I mean, I guess kind of feeding his ego in a way. So it kind of egged on him acting like an asshole, doing all these narcissistic actions and basically going back against the senator and the government and just giving like a basically a big fuck you to them just because he had all of America kind of backing him up as a celebrity. A celebrity and it kind of showed the parallel of i know it's later down the road in the mcu but how captain america was in his time how honorable and noble he was and tony stark is basically the polar opposite basically flaunting his power and how he knows that the government can't physically touch him because he has the most powerful suit in the world and it basically showcases their morals and their personalities they're completely opposite so the thing that i noticed most is this whole movie basically highlighted the worst parts of Tony Stark in my mind. See, now I know I'm an asshole because you guys are complaining about how mean and I'm like, this guy's funny as fuck, man. He's killing it. During that hearing, I feel like he was just nailing it. And fuck those guys. I mean, they're fucking lying. They're trying to do it themselves, you know, with Hammer. And also great payoff at the end of the movie where they use the ex-wife and he's like, Hammer Tech? Yeah, great. But just a fuck up the entire way. Though, 
I don't know. Like, I do get where it's like, yeah, he's juvenile and he's doing the wrong thing this time and the other. Like, I'm certainly not getting on the fucking board of Captain America, dude. Like, that guy's a narc for sure, dude. He would definitely beat someone up for smoking some weed or some shit, dude. I feel like, fuck that guy. I was always team Iron Man. I feel like he was a little, like, he was like the bad boy. Like, I'm, I'm down to break the rules that I feel like uh, Captain America is, like, very by the rules. So I was always team Tony. But it's interesting, though, when you get the Civil War that Tony's the one that wants them to sign up, right? For the government list and everything. You would think that that would be Captain America almost, right? It's almost like you would expect them to be flipped. I will get to that when we get to that. But my point is just that I think that like, I don't know, it sounds like you guys are a little bit bothered by it when you're saying like, you see the worst in Tony, this, that, and the other. And I think they're probably going for that in certain aspects. But for me, it's really just like entertaining and it kind of showcases why you got Robert Downing Jr. to be this role. Like I saw a post today that we won't get into like whether we agree or disagree, but they were talking about like perfect casting for comic book roles. And the first person they mentioned was Robert Downing Jr. And I was like, he really like in a lot of ways does embody that character to the general public now, at least. Like I don't necessarily know what he was like in the comics beforehand because he was B, maybe even C-list superheroes in the comics. He was not the most popular. And it's interesting that they started with him, honestly. But I really do think that those aspects where you guys are saying, like, he's an asshole, they're showing the worst aspects of him. I think that is Robert Downey Jr. fucking nailing it. You know what I mean? And they're going for that to a certain degree. And I joke and I say, like, you know, he seems like a cool guy to me. Like, no, he is being an asshole in certain aspects. And I do see that. But I think to a certain degree, I also am, like, getting his cockiness to a certain degree. Like, like he is, like, I think it's the first Avengers. It might be the second. It might be the second Avengers where he says, like, you know, someone's, like, like take away that suit of armor what are you it's like billionaire philanthropist playboy all these things it's like he really has a reason to be cocky in a lot of aspects and it's the same thing i'm gonna just go back i know i'm on a little bit of a tangent here but i'm gonna go back to our conversations which you guys weren't here for but when we talked about batman we talked about like how he's a little bit inherently authoritarian because he's a vigilante and you have to take a step back because you as the audience know that for example batman means well so when you see him beating the shit out of the joker you know the joker's gonna fuck people up and what he's doing is right and you know like depending on what Batman you're watching he has a no kill rule this that and the other you as the audience can feel comfortable watching Christian Bale's Batman for example because you know when he uses that technology in the Dark Knight that is spying on people and you wouldn't want to use in real life you know he's only using it to stop the Joker this one time this and the other he even tells Morgan Freeman that he's gonna disable it afterwards all that but in real life you kind of see where everyone else is coming from, right? Like you definitely see where Morgan Freeman's coming from in that movie. You definitely see where the government's coming from in this movie, I think. When they're like, this is a weapon. Like you know as the audience that Tony Stark is meaning well, especially in hindsight. Like if you've seen now all of the MCU up to 2022, you definitely know, let him have the suit because it's gonna end up doing way more good than it's ever gonna do harm. Just like Rhodey says in his opening thing where he's like more good than it is ever a liability. So it's just that I think because we know he's the good guy, it kind of shines that like different aspect on it that different light on it but when you take a step back it's like he is an asshole he's being a cocky fuck and what he's doing is dangerous really and he's dying so you don't he could be reckless and like the birthday party scene no good cannot be firing shit off drunk in that suit can't be drunk in that suit to begin with really so i get where you guys are coming from but to me it's like i like that part of it yeah i definitely do want to jump the gun and get to the birthday suit i mean the, the yeah the birthday <laughs> yeah yeah the birthday party scene because that yeah that's where it, i was watching it and I was like, I looked at my roommate. I was like, this is always like one of the hardest scenes for me to watch, like where it's cringy because you guys are right in the congrats. Like, I don't know if I said if I said it that it was bad.
that in the congressional hearing because like that is where it's endearing and i think duncan you're right absolutely like where the casting shines through like not many people can pull that off where you're like i support the guy that is openly being an asshole because like the government is wrong in that you know they're they're wrong in that situation like trying to take his property which you know he's developed off of his own merits so that they can turn it into a weapon which is like kind of the exact reason that he designed it you know what i mean to like thwart the military which we you know we see again the military industrial kind of complex underlying theme through the whole thing where the government is like we need to turn what you've built into a weapon and he's like uh no you know i've designed this off of my own merit and i'm going to use it the way i see fit as you should so i think it definitely works there it just like later in the movie it kind of gets to where you're like i don't you know i don't know how i feel about this and it kind of gets gross but from there we go to we get our first action scene and we kind of see whiplash is brought back into the picture uh he's whiplash now uh at the monaco grand prix where you know in another fit of narcissism tony decides to race his own car and you know just go out onto the track and so whiplash decides to attack him at the monaco grand prix and it and it, it doesn't go great for whiplash but it doesn't go horribly for me either so kind of take me through you guys' interpretations of, of of this opening action can i just jump in and ask a question right now that might be dumb but i'm thinking of it right now on the spot literally based on your wording chris go for it his decision to race is spur of the moment right yeah so how does whiplash know to be down there by the track i thought the same thing jalen's got an answer maybe because throughout the movie especially at the beginning how he was watching the tv seeing him on tv and everything is basically like tony stark just throwing himself out there to the to the world so everybody's going to know exactly where he is at any given moment because he's always trying to get on camera and get, get on the news so that's how i interpret it he figured that out pretty quick then because he broke that motherfucking tv yeah also i think if i think his plans probably if he's if he wasn't on the track you know I'm, I'm saying like that went the best way it could have gone for whiplash i think he would have just attacked him in the stands if not if you wanted to defend the plot and just be like yo this is like he was going to do it either way because i thought that exact same thing when i saw that i was like this kind of works out great for him so that's assuming that he would have attacked him in the restaurant right because wasn't that where pepper and happy watched it so he would have just gone crazy there too Maybe it must have just been like stalking him the entire time. And then once it was announced that he was going on the on the racetrack, then he took his opportunity. Yeah, I think he like knew beforehand Tony Stark was going to be at the Monaco Grand Prix and was just going to attack him wherever he was. And then it got shown on the TV. Tony Stark's driving and he was like, OK, I'll go to the racetrack as opposed to like if he had been in the stands, he probably would have just gone to his box, I guess. I don't know if that timing works out, though. And I think the fact that we see that on the TV alludes to alludes to the fact that Vanko's always watching him on the TV. So the fact that we found out that he was going to be there, I think, is supposed to help guide us to that realization, too. Or maybe they just didn't care when they were making and they just assumed that he was going to show up wherever Tony was. No, I definitely love Jalen's answer. And then you're agreeing with it, Mac, that it's showing that he's very focused and paying attention to the TV. It shows that we see that. And then it also tells you that he's not only paying attention to it, but he's smart enough to like read Tony too, which I think is cool. And it's also a good juxtaposition because later on you see that Sam Rockwell's character has trouble reading Rhodey. And it's like, it's very much like the quiet smart guy and then the dumb guy who can't get the technology to work but is like the billionaire for some reason it's like they're very juxtaposed i think in their characters and even like tony underestimates vanko where he's like you know you look like you have friends in low places and it's like what the fuck does that mean bro like i'm actually i figured out the same thing you figured out with pretty much the same technology like i'm if not as smart as you very very close to as smart as you so 
everyone's underestimating him. I like that. I love Jalen's answer to that. I guess if I'm being nitpicky, that's that question does pop up. And if I'm writing a comedy movie and it's the same plot, I have him show up in like a waiter outfit and be like, well, fuck, this asshole's racing now? You were supposed to be in the restaurant. Like I would have him bitching about that. Like he showed up in a waiter outfit and just has no idea how to get onto the, the tracks now. But I digress. I'm sorry. I just, I jumped in there. We can definitely talk about the, what happens here in the race scene and how you guys like that action scene. Sorry for jumping in. Yeah, no, I really like the action scene. It was really, it wasn't so much violent just because it's like, it's pretty brief, honestly. But I think what I liked more was the actual race car parts where he's like flinging those around. I thought those were really, really sick to watch. Um, especially as like someone who kind of grew up watching, not that this is NASCAR by any means, but I definitely grew up watching NASCAR with my dad, or I would like listen to it on the radio with him. He was a big driving down the road, he would turn on the race. And so we would just kind of, kind of hear it, but I thought it was really cool to kind of see the cars flying around. And I'm not a big pre follower. I don't even know if that's the accurate terminology for that, but the fact that they're driving through Monaco so close to all the buildings is really it made me really anxious i was like how do they not just like lose control and get flung into a building or something like that but overall i thought the action scene was really good it was interesting to see them kind of actually face off head to head in person with people around because usually i feel like fights like that or like when they finally like meet head to head it's never like the like the final boss or whatever it's never like actually in front of anybody so it was interesting to see like the crowd's reaction to them actually getting violent which was interesting to see for me but overall i thought it was good a decent a decent fight scene i agree with mac on the quality of that fighting scene you know um, me from the recent podcast episodes I'm an action man I like to see fights I like to see everything going haywire and basically like the setting of the NASCAR racing and everything was already adrenaline pumping anyway and just seeing this bulky guy with um, two whips coming out just slinging destroying everything just got me hyping in um, since I've seen it for the first time since 2010 and basically I did like um, the way how Tony didn't really have too good of a fighting chance against him especially once Happy finally got the armor to Tony Stark. Um, the symbolism that I saw was basically how he was stripping away his armor. It was kind of a way of stripping away at his ego as well, just like knocking him down more and more and more. And I could see how Tony, you know, couldn't really go back at him like he wanted to. And also the comparison of Tony's suit compared to Ivan Vanka's suit showed like how much you can do with just like money, resources, and support behind you, but still have the same intelligence. So um, I did see a lot of symbolism, multiple different ones in that scenario. And I will say, like, I love Happy. Like, Happy was a badass for, like, ramming against him over and over and over again. Happy did not give up. But, um, yeah, so I definitely love that scene a lot. That was probably one of my favorite ones throughout the movie. So I think maybe it's because this was marketed a lot in the trailers and stuff, this fight. It definitely is the one that sticks out to me the most when I think about this before watching watching this this time around but it's very short it's not got great cgi the cool part is that he has a suit that turns from a suitcase like that's the coolest part of it to me it's very much set up for later on it's kind of not as memorable as i would have expected having been the thing that definitely sticks out to me from this film like what i remember from this film in hindsight like before this rewatch was this fight scene for sure whiplash as a villain sam rockwell as hammer and the introduction of natasha even though i did not again remember how much she actually stole the show although on this rewatch it was hammered in for me that she absolutely was the star of this for me and it like baffles me that she wasn't given an earlier solo movie 
before obviously what 2021 i think it was scheduled for 2020 i forget which year it actually was released in but just crazy because she was stealing the show from the beginning and then maybe like became a little bit of a backdrop in like the avengers movies didn't get as much time to shine was relegated to like bruce relationships and hawkeye relationships but seriously that's what i that's what stuck out to me but again this fight scene i don't know i was expecting more based on my memory of it sticking out and it was again a little short like not bad by any chance but like could have better cgi and i don't know if i understand his motivation where he's like i wasn't trying to kill you i wanted to show that i can make you bleed so that others would come for you it's like bro just kill him and then later on he decides to just go after him by himself and it's like again just kill him you had him so i don't get that it's very convenient for tony and us as the viewer for him to like have that motivation at the beginning so i don't know if i if i'm dumb and it's like very obvious why he has that motivation like if there's a real reason let me know but for me doesn't stand out on this rewatch as being as big of a moment as it did on the first watch or the first couple watches I just want to jump in really quick before you say something, Chris. You were mentioning how he just like wanted to cut him so we could see the other people were bleeding. Would you, and I like want to pose this question just to like get your thoughts. Would you think that it's like, if he had killed Tony, do you think that would be worse to Tony? Or do you think having his ego bruised, showing that someone else can recreate the technology that he's so adamant about someone not being able to recreate? Like, which do you think is worse for Tony? I mean, obviously nobody wants to die, but I was just curious what you guys think would be worse for him. Well, yeah, I mean, especially because he is dying already, and that's probably part of it. I'm just, like, thinking about that now, actually, too, where it's, like, since he knows that he's dying, because he makes that comment about how it's a painful way to die, since he knows that, it's, like, because of that, it's more like i want you to suffer maybe and i get that and i want to show you that you're going to bleed although again it's like very convenient because tony fixes that problem and then he lasts all the way to when he lasts to and it's like sure like you want to torture him a little bit maybe i get that i do get that but at the end of the day where you end up at the end of this movie if you're him is trying to accomplish what you could have accomplished at like minute 25 you know what i mean it's like roll credits very short film and I think you're probably right, though. I get that, like trying to bruise his ego. And that's definitely the way to hurt Tony. And especially if you know that he's on his deathbed already, it's like, why even try to go for it? But it ends up being very convenient. And like, I don't necessarily mind it, but you don't want too much convenience, I think, in your plots. Yeah, the way I saw it was that for Vanko, it was a win-win scenario. I don't think he like intentionally didn't kill Tony at the Grand Prix. I think Happy and Pepper had a lot to do with him, with Tony not dying, because like for most of that scene, Tony is at Vanko's mercy. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, he slowed to kill him. And of course we he can't die because we need the rest of the movie to happen. But at the same time, I think he very well could have. It just didn't happen that way. But I think also that is a great point, Duncan, that he knows that, you know, the palladium is, is slowly killing him. And I think that that is an equally desirable outcome if you just want, you know, what I mean, this guy to just have to struggle with his ego being bruised and the world knowing that basically just watching other people take shots at this guy until finally he's killed. I think it's probably not the best way if you wanted to kill him yourself, but I could see why you would want to do that. And I think for this scene, I kind of agree, I think, with Duncan about how the action itself isn't really what sticks out for me. The suit, the suit coming out of the suitcase, I think the more we see over the course of these movies, the ways that they devise for him to like get into the suit in times of crisis is like pretty cool you know what i mean like it slowly changes every time so like it's it, and it just gets cooler every time like in avengers he is falling out of the building and a suit comes and catches him the suit you know he does like the bow flex strings on the on his shirt in infinity war so like seeing that that's kind of, this movie is kind of the first step in that direction where they're like devising these like cool ways because you know the first time he puts on the suit that's super cool but 
but they're like, okay, we got to continue to break ground. And this is, I think their way of doing that. And I, and I thought it was cool, but I think the biggest thing about this scene and about this movie probably is like, I didn't realize how funny it was like the comedy, like when Tony's like standing outside the car and he's like, hit him again. <laughs> like he just is like running like Jalen. I thought that was hilarious. And like him trying to get the case, he's like, just throw it, just throw the case. And she's like panicking. And yeah, I thought that was pretty funny to watch. And I also love Justin Ham- uh, Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. Like it's really funny. Just this guy being this ego fragile, you know, billionaire who just isn't, is also somehow an idiot can't do anything right i thought that was pretty funny but from the track at the grand prix we see vanko broken out of jail by who we find out to be justin hammer and then the two of them kind of form an alliance so let me know what you guys think about justin hammer and then mickey work being able to find like justin hammer describes himself a benefactor in his attempts to kill tony stark I think he's a typical billionaire making money off of somebody else's labor. Okay, but actually, like, I do think that that's pretty much what he's doing here. And he knows that Vonko has the brains that he doesn't have. So he's simply using him. And I think they're kind of using each other, though, in a way. You know, Vonko's brilliant, clearly. And he knows that Hammer's going to get him access to tech, whether it's good or not. Access to tech that he has been unable to get access to. So they're definitely using each other in in this situation. However, unbeknownst to Hammer, Vonko has his entire other agenda planned. But I think it's interesting to see them them work together. And I, I do like that he got his parrot or a parrot, not necessarily his parrot, but that's like kind of jumping ahead a little bit. But yeah, I think they're they're an interesting pair. And I think it added, and like you were saying, like a nice element of humor to the film. And um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed watching them interact with each other. All I wanted to say is just get this man a bird. That's all he asked for the whole entire time. All he wanted was a bird and he'll work for Hammer. So that's all he wanted. But I guess like him and Hammer's dynamic, I do agree they were definitely using each other. So Ivan was basically the brains and Hammer was the resources that Ivan didn't have. So it was kind of like a mutually beneficial relationship between the two. So I guess it they would work together well. And um, I like how Hammer was trying to insult Ivan's intelligence, but Ivan is more of a man of few words. Everything's already in his head. He's not going to reveal all his plans, hence later in the movie when his full plan comes out. So that scene displayed the dynamic between the two. Mac, you joke, but this movie loves CEOs and billionaires. We got between Hammer, between Pepper's leveling up to CEO. Obviously, you got Tony. Fucking Elon Musk is in this movie. (laughs) Everyone disliked that. But anyway, I really like the dynamic between these two. I think that they're both, again, like you wonder or you don't necessarily wonder because we have real world examples, but you are intrigued by how this guy is a billionaire when all this shit is not working, how he can't create it himself. He is failing. I mean... All the other countries are also failing at creating what Tony Stark created, but not Ivan. He's figured it out. So he's obviously, like we said, the brains of the operation. And I love how he's playing him from the get-go, you know, drone better, all this shit. Like, just you catch on, I think, as the audience a lot quicker than the dumbass that Sam Rockwell's playing does. But I like it. I like pretty much every scene with the two of them and I like the introduction to them. This is actually something that also I, I did remember was that like sitting outside of the plane part of it. It's very much I don't know, the whole dynamic very much reminds me, and this is to go back to the Dark Knight trilogy, but it reminds me of Ben Mendelssohn's character and Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, where it's like, Do you feel in control right now? 
And it's like the entire time Hammer thinks he's in control. And it's like, no, dude. And I love the reveal. I'm jumping ahead right now. But when he calls him from the golf course and he's like, all right, like we're going to the expo, this, that, and the other. And he's like, not going to be ready. And like you as the audience, you're like, not gonna be, like this guy definitely could get this ready. Like what's, he, like, what's he talking about? And then like, it's almost like a comedy cut to the whip being created. And you're like, this motherfucker. He's very likable, I think, as a villain. And Sam Rockwell does a very good job at not being likable, being that character. So, I mean, when you put the two of them working against each other, and playing off each other i think it's only going to be great so that's why this scene definitely works for me and i love the whole jalen you said he all he wanted was a bird that's not true he wanted my bird not a bird my bird so although he did kind of prove that he didn't give a shit at the end because he definitely fucked with the new bird anyway although it's like dude again it shows like the dumbassness of hammer where he thinks that he can just like he just pass off a different bird and then like like he's a kid like he's talking to like a baby and it's like you're underestimating everyone's underestimating whiplash i love that comparison i think i literally was thinking the exact same thing how justin hammer's money does not buy him yeah when he's like he's like but i paid for your entire campaign he's like you think this gives you power over me you know i kind of the exact same vibes in this dynamic and i thought that that was really cool just and you see how strong kind of in the same vein how like bane his ideology is like it can't be bought you know what i mean mickey rourke's character in this movie he can't be bought like what he's going for is a lot deeper than just justin hammer's angle of just like damaging a business competitor like this is not that this is like i'm my dad died because of you i'm trying to make you suffer you know and i think that they do a good job of portraying that in the dynamic and we mentioned Civil War a couple times earlier, but one time in reference specifically to Tony finding out more about Howard. And in that movie, obviously, he finds out even more about Howard, which I didn't remember that in this movie happening. But later down the line in the MCU, we do see parallels between how Tony feels in Civil War and how Ivan feels in Iron Man 2, where it's like looking for retribution for your father. And it's being mad at someone who wasn't necessarily there for it, whether they weren't born yet or were too young of a child yet, or if they were brainwashed. I think there's parallels there. So it's interesting. No, definitely. I think there definitely are parallels because I think when Ivan looks at Tony, he kind of sees the life that he should have had. You know, I think he really internalizes those words that his dad told him, but also like his life. Cause we find out his dad was a drinker. So like, I mean, and this is getting ahead a little bit, but it's like, you probably put two and two together that like, it wasn't the best home life. I think a character literally says that Ivan didn't grow up with the best home life. And it's like Tony and Tony's father and everything that Tony represents is kind of what takes the place of the cause of all the difficulties that Ivan has definitely had to experience off screen probably. And that's like one of my gripes with this movie. And it, not that we needed like flashbacks of his life or something like that, but I remember making a note of it is like all we get on his backstory really is like a 20 second blurb of like Jarvis explaining his history to Tony when Tony gets back home from the Grand Prix in his basement. And it's like, I feel like maybe we could have done more. And I also, one thing I wanted to mention was leaving the Grand Prix when uh, he and Pepper are on the plane and he can't, you can tell there's many moments throughout this movie where like Tony's trying to express himself to Pepper and just like let her know how he feels about her, but he just like can't because of like who he is and despite himself. And I think that they do a good job of kind of showing that that element of his character you know what i mean like kind of the damage but so we go from the grand prix and from the you know the hangar scene with hammer and vanko to tony's birthday and i think this is a scene that none of us wanted to discuss but what do you guys think about this part of the movie dude you have a giant sky a giant ocean 
the whole world is your oyster and you're going to sit there and fight in this beautiful home and destroy it. I just couldn't get past that watching that. It just didn't make any sense. And I mean, I'm sure there was a reason that they wrote that in there. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like, is it because it's all meaningless to Tony? Like he doesn't really care about his any material goods, like everything's replaceable. Maybe I'm stretching, maybe I'm looking too much into it. But yeah, the fight was really hard to watch because Tony's clearly in the wrong. Like he's putting all of his friends in a really precarious position. And would he have done this? I mean, I I don't want to blame Natasha for this, but her words. Whoa. This victim blaming. I I don't want to blame her for putting those thoughts in his head, but would he have caused such a scene if she hadn't said, if this were my last night on earth, I would do whatever I want with whoever I want. Or was she alluding to them like hooking up? That's what, I mean, maybe I'm just a horny motherfucker, but I was reading that as like, <laughs> yeah, she literally had just told him to cancel the party and then she walks away like, I'd do whatever. I read that as like, stay in, don't get drunk in the suit. I'm basically playing the part of a honeypot. I feel like she would have been down like as part of like S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I feel like that wouldn't have been the first time Natasha had to do that. Like, or anyone, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, you, once you're like an agent like that, that secret, I feel like you got to be down for anything. You know what I mean? Like to save your life or to save someone else's life. But just real quick, like I'm fine with him blowing shit up and like not caring about his stuff. But like you're putting a lot of people at danger. He might be an asshole. He might be a drunk in certain storylines, but he's not someone who doesn't care about other people. We see that in the first movie. He's characterized as that. You know, as soon as he realizes what his weapons are doing, as soon as he has the opportunity to, like, actually protect people, he does, and he does stop the bad stuff. So, I don't know, like, it seems out of character, like, to be doing that, even if you, like, think, like, you're dying. And, like, to me, it's, again, like, I thought Natasha gave him the fucking out. Let's have sex. Yeah, I guess I was just reading that wrong, or... I don't know. I think especially this movie, they make her character overtly sexual and she's very sexualized. And I think generally in her role, especially like there are the outfits that she's worn throughout the franchise, but especially this movie, I guess I just, I was reading it in another way, but no, I agree with you. Like he's just putting people at risk, especially Pepper. Like I feel like his entire MO was pretty much to protect her and, and make sure she's safe. And he was just blatantly putting her at risk that entire time. So not, I, I hated watching that. It was very hard to watch. Especially with the fact he loses his suit, which is like, I, I mean, I agree with Natasha, like there were safeguards to prevent that. So it's not like he really put up much of a fight to get it out of Rhodey's hand. So maybe he knew that he deserved getting it taken away as kind of like a, a reminder that or not like a reminder, but like a punishment for himself or something. Well, touching on the topic about um, what Natasha said, I interpret it as her just saying um, basically like you have to understand that she's still like undercover. It's supposed to build a bit of suspense. She's not revealed as Black Widow just yet. So we're we're supposed to be questioning her motives in the movie anyway. So um, when listening to that and thinking back on it, like later in the movie, when he meets up with her and Nick Fury, I think that her saying that was just to basically let him cut loose. He's going to, of course, regret that. And then being broken, his ego broken down enough in order for them to get through to him. So that's kind of how I interpreted her tactics for that. But um, to talk about the whole entire scene as a whole, um, yes, it was just like a cringy, drunken mess to see him like that. And yeah, it was definitely a hard scene to watch. But I did enjoy basically the origin story of War Machine, like him coming in trying as Tony's still Tony's best friend and taking a stand against him. And I did write down one quote during their fight throughout it. Tony said to Brody, if you want to be a war machine, take your shot. 
And then that was kind of like the big origin story, them drawing a line against each other, War Machine, basically War Machine versus Tony Stark and alluding to later down the road, creating him as a giant character in the MCU. So I think that scene brought out more throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe from that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jalen, at the end, because I don't see this as so much of a sad scene as I do see it as a triumphant scene, because you have the creation of War Machine as a character, and it was always going to happen, but still, it's cool, and I like the actual fight between the two of them. I think it works. I like it better than the Whiplash original fight, and I think it's also cool to see, like, your girl and your best friend working together to get your drunk ass wrangled in. It's like, ah, all the homies care about me. Always good when your best friend and whoever your significant other is are close, I think. So it's like the fact that they were able to be a good team there and like, all right, I'll, I'm going down to get the suit. You wrangle up the guests. You try to go on stage, this, that, and the other. Like they're working together. And I like that. And then you also have obviously Happy coming in and like kind of saving Pepper at the end when they blast through the ground at the very end of the fight. But overall, I really, I did like this. And I think that like, yeah, I think he was letting, I don't necessarily think it was like a, I don't deserve this, but I think it was like a trust in Rhodey to do the right thing with it. So I like it. Mag, I, I like what you said about the impact of Natasha's words to Tony. And I think it that's where I think it's pretty sad because like he hears I would do, I guess his response to doing whatever he wants to do with whoever he wants to do it with is like just get drunk around a bunch of strangers who are only there for like his money and who he doesn't even know. And I think that that is kind of emblematic of who Iron Man is, a, is as a person. I mean, well, who Tony Stark is as a person up to this point in the MCU. And you also got to think, you know, in context, this is what he thinks is his last birthday. And I think kind of a lot of his behavior is a symptom of that. But I think it was a just it felt very like it, we've all said cringy and just kind of a clunky way for them to show us that Tony is in a bad place. You know what I mean? I, I think this part is kind of where the movie in kind of a way breaks down for me because I, I think it lacks sort of the, the nuance and the subtlety of the storytelling that we see in the first one, you know, where we have like dialogue specifically with Jensen, where Tony's character is kind of developed over the course of being in that cave. Here, we're just like shown Tony yelling at people to show that, okay, something's wrong with Tony. But I think it leads into one of the, for me, one of the strongest parts of the movie where we see a more in-depth look at his relationship with his dad. So after the birthday party where he and the War Machine fight and War Machine takes his suit, we are introduced to Nick Fury, played by none other than Samuel L. Jackson, the GOAT himself. And we get kind of the first look at Nick Fury's importance in the MCU as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he turns him on to some technology and some records that he didn't know. And here we also find out that Tony didn't know his dad nearly as well as he thought he did. So let me know what you guys thought about this portion of the movie. I feel like the donut scene where he's like sitting in the donut and Nick's like, I'm gonna need you to exit the donut. That scene really stuck with me growing up. I don't know if it's because it was in the trailer or for some reason that scene was really distinct in their advertising for the movie. But I love that. I think it really shows Nick's humor a bit and like whether he means to be funny or not. I think their relationship is really unique and it's really fun to watch them interact with each other. And I think it's interesting to see Tony find out more about his dad through Nick's eyes, especially since Tony's so hellbent on thinking he knows everything in the world. So to find out that he doesn't know his dad as well as he thought he did, I'm sure that was a shock to his system. And it's interesting to see him kind of have to take a step back and reevaluate what he thought he knew about his dad versus just being able to go off his own assumptions his entire life. But I think it's 
cool that Nick kind of gives him a new challenge to look towards or like a glimmer of hope too. Cause at this point, this man's down bad. He is real down bad in life. And it's nice to see that kind of spark come back when he knows that there's something that he could be working towards both to save his own life and also to rediscover, I think is his words, a new element. So that was really cool to, to watch him kind of put that together. And then we see the little Captain America's shield or semi shield. It's like brief kind of put together. So that was a nice little adieu to what's to come. I mean, we didn't know that at the time, but I like that. But yeah, I, th- I think they did a really good job introducing Nick and, and it makes you want more from his character and you're excited to see what's going to come next in the installment. Yeah, for um, this scene, I definitely agree. I like how it brought out character development, but it was character development that would not have happened without the push from Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. Tony Stark would have never tried to rediscover himself or try to find out about his father, trying to understand where his father was coming from throughout his life at all. So it kind of made him see his father in a different light. And um, I did like how this show also kind of showed how much intelligence S.H.I.E.L.D. has behind the scenes. So Tony Stark knew his father his whole life, basically, and did not understand where he was coming from or this side of him. But S.H.I.E.L.D. already had all that information documented. And it was kind of a good thing for Tony Stark to notice, um, rediscover that new element in order to save his life. So it was basically like his father gave him a second chance at life. So in a way, he'll be able to thank his father for that and giving him just basically rediscovering the new element in order to help him continue throughout the MCU and throughout Endgame, basically. And I did love seeing the Easter egg about the shield, like Max said earlier, and the way that he just put the pipe over the shield and used it as a prop. Basically, kind of like um, an analogy of how he like tries to like one up and step on Captain America and everything throughout the MCU. So I did find that hilarious, especially watching it back after seeing all the other movies and how they interact and like clash and everything. Yeah, I also like the relationship building with his father, even though he didn't get that while he was alive. I think that's cool. I like this part of the movie for sure. I like him creating that new or rediscovering that new element and him fixing himself. I appreciate all that. And I loved the callback to or call forward, I guess to Captain America because I was something I didn't remember and I love like you can see the frustration or not frustration the confusion on Coulson's face where it's like what well, oh, do you know what where'd you get like he's very much concerned about that because he knows the deal just like Nick Fury does as well so yeah I didn't even think about that analogy of him like kind of one-upping him like that but very cool good point Jalen but that's really all I have to say about this part yeah, like I said, I mean, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. I think Nick, after every every one of his lines in the Randy's Donuts, I'm expecting him to say like a motherfucker, you know what I mean? Or like throw something in there. I'm expecting him to curse because he's just like, he delivers it like he always does in all his movies, but it just is, you know, the MCU. So, but I, I, I like the introduction. And then I think seeing this part of the movie really reframes a lot of the scenes like we see later down the lines, like we said in, in Civil War, where we have the underlying storyline with Tony and his parents, but also in Endgame when he goes to see his dad with Captain America and you see them actually like get to connect one on one. It's like, wow, you, 
I mean, I don't know. It just gave a new look because like the scene when Tony's in his basement and he's watching the outtakes from the expo reels and his dad like kind of is treating him how he always thought he did where he's telling him to stop playing with stuff and like treating him like a distraction to his work. And then he speaks directly to Tony and tells him like, he's his greatest creation. You know what I mean? I mean, that kind of gets you in the field. You're like, wow, this, that would be cool to see. You know what I mean? And I think that their inability to is something they share their inability to like express how they feel with like loved ones is something that Howard and Tony both share. And we see that because he goes straight to Pepper after, after he finds out that uh, his dad, you know, really did love him and is like trying to tell her that he needs her and can't get through it and like brings her strawberries, which she's allergic to. And it's just kind of like this guy continues to get in his own way. But the scene where he's creating the new element, I think is really cool. Like you guys said, I love the inclusion of the Captain America shield. I love the quote where he says like dead for almost 20 years, still taking me to school. I think I was like, damn, that's pretty dope. And then we see Phil Coulson get sent to New Mexico to go handle who we, after we've seen everything we know is Thor. But at this point, we kind of get into the third act of the movie. Tony has gotten a handle on the palladium poisoning. He's created a new element. He is good to go, at which point he finds out that Vanko is still alive. And at this point, Vanko launches his attack on the Stark Expo, and we get into the third act of the movie. So I'd love to hear what you guys thought about the end. I really like the scene at the Expo. I thought it was really cool that Hammer chose to design each sector of the military a certain way to look like they belong based off of like the general uniform or stereotype that goes with each sector of the military and roadie coming out looking badass that was cool to watch of course do i want roadie on that side of the team no i mean not that like the military is like well anyway but i i i thought that the setup that he had it was really cool but tony coming in warning him that shit's about to go down they have the whole audience there this kind of adds another layer of danger to the situation it's not just them one-on-one it's they're thrown into the mix of like all these other people that's really crazy but he gets there he warns Rhodey that shit's about to go down and literally within seconds it happens and I think this fight was so cool you get to see Tony all across the expo or like the entire pavilion that they have he's trying to be here and there and like rely on other people and Rhodey is basically a Bonko's mercy there's not much that he can do I really enjoyed watching the scene and like how this fight was like the culmination of Hammer's shitty tech, Bonko's brilliancy, and Tony realizing, hey, I'm alive. I have shit that I have to make up for. I can't just throw it out the window like I had been planning on it. And I do think he redeems himself. And I think, I mean, as as far as a redeemable character as he could get, I mean, he's not inherently a bad guy, you know, he's not like he's a villain or anything. But I do want to throw in that I think we, we may have referenced this earlier. The the ex-wife, I thought that was a cute little nod, like the, the hammer tech. I thought that was really funny. But yeah, I thought it was a really good way to end the movie. And like, of course, we knew that a major fight scene was going to come to fruition. But it was interesting that Vanko chose to have like the full robot army tech behind him versus just fighting Tony in his own suit. I guess like, I don't know if we understood what his decision was for that, but I guess this was a bit interesting to see. I, w- I would guess I would want to know what his thought process was behind behind doing that maybe just to show his own power or just to create more chaos for everyone involved because i know he used them basically as like bodyguards and like stuff like that but yeah i enjoyed the fight it was really good and i think you really get to see the relationship between tony and Rhodey a lot and how they eventually come to work really well together in their suits so yeah i enjoyed it drone better yeah i definitely like this scene a lot i did like the basically at the earlier in the movie um hammer is saying to um banco like 
like where can a person fit in here like does this look like a head could fit in here basically like bragging on him about it being a drone and everything and Banco's like and like you'll see basically and I like how his master plan folded out Hammer doesn't have any control just like he thought he had which kind of like is hinted throughout the movie Hammer thinking he's in control but it's actually Vanco in control of everything because he has the brain power and just like Vanco like you know getting back at him like this is what I can do with these drones and taking over ruin his expo his fame and basically behind the scene just like how earlier I was saying he's a man of few words just like chill kind of in the background and just working behind the scenes in general kind of showed how like he didn't want fame or fortune he just wanted to get back at Tony Stark by any means necessary and the whole like fight and seeing the dynamics between them trying to disarm the drones and disarm basically get Rhodey back in control of his suit um, while Natasha's behind the scenes doing that like Duncan was saying earlier I love the fight scene I'm happy just like fighting this one guy and then Natasha taking out like 10 people at one time with no problem at all and then Happy's like yeah I got him and then walks through seeing a guy hanging from the roof like all these people laid out because Natasha took him down and yeah so basically Natasha's character as a whole just like finally like playing out all the cars the abilities that she can do and hinting towards like how valuable she was throughout her time through the rest of the MCU she's probably one of my favorite characters honestly I love like the mysteriousness behind her her backstory and everything so it was good to see see her in live action and the CGI and fight scenes between um War Machine Iron Man and um the rest of the drones as well as um Whiplash was definitely like the highlight of the movie and I loved how Thanko's plan wasn't just to destroy Tony's ego it was also to destroy the suit of armor that he was trying to build around the world so when he was sending out the drones to destroy everything as well as once he lost blow up every single drone around the city in order to like destroy it as well that was basically his contingency plan just in case he did lose so he did so he could win in some type of way against tony stark yeah i would say my one complaint about the ending is that the fight does seem a little similar to the first one because our villain is another iron man again which i'm fine with i like the variations of you know like the big complaint about the flash for example is that everyone is just a speedster so it's like it's just another version of the flash and iron man suffers from that as well where all his villains are very similar in that aspect where they're just other iron mans but i will say it's like got a good background like i like the location that the fight takes place in it was more memorable than i remembered and i said that you know i love the natasha stuff even and we said she's very sexualized in this film but like I will say that like happy stuff is pretty funny where he's driving and then like swerves and you can hear her like she's like very aware that he's like uh, like ogling her a little bit. So I don't know. I thought that part was funny. And then like I already touched on earlier about how I love her action scene at the end. But this is what I wanted to bring up that I kind of mentioned earlier was why is it that like a female action star is always taking people down with her legs? Like that would not you wouldn't see Captain America like doing acrobats and like taking you down with his thighs, for example. But it does feel like that's reserved for like I would have loved to see her just kind of like whop some guys in the face with just like a punch, which I feel like I haven't seen from a woman in an action film as much like not like because they're not giving the opportunity to I feel like as much like they're made to do like more acrobatic stuff. Which I would have liked to see her kind of just like punch a guy in the throat kind of more. Which it seems like it's like a little bit like like they make them fight in a feminine way sometimes. Which is like my only thing about it. But like, was it badass? Yeah. And like just outside of this, Scarlett Johansson is 
one of my favorites. Just, I mean, what more can you say? So I love the ending to it, but particularly her aspects of it. So yeah, well done. I think definitely doesn't get enough credit for being a solid third act. I would say when people talk about it. Yeah, I got to disagree wholeheartedly. I think this is where the biggest disservice to Whiplash's character happens in this movie. I think attacking the expo really makes no sense from his part, just because like Justin, if you think about what's actually going to happen, Justin Hammer is the one who's going to take the fall for building defective technology that goes haywire on the expo. If it, you know, if everything goes according to plan. So it doesn't really make sense for him to attack him that way. I think that as smart as Ivan is, as motivated as Ivan is, it would have made a lot more sense for him to go after Tony in a lot more of a personal way and a lot more powerful way. Cause I gave it a lot of thought. I know it's like early in the MCU. So you don't want to, you don't want to have to kill, you know, an important character, but it seems like going toe to toe with this guy would have resulted in some damage to Tony and not just like the scene where Ivan actually pulls up and they fight at the expo. He is out of commission within like 30 seconds. He throws a couple of haymakers and then they, he like puts the whips on him and they do the callback where they both shoot the beams. I think that scene is really cool in terms of seeing war machine and Iron Man working together. That is awesome. You know, they show off the technology they have. And like you guys have all said, that scene with black widow taking down those guys at the facilities is awesome. I think, it's the best Black Widow scene in the MCU because like like you said, Duncan, they always make her fight with her legs like for the rest of the time. And she continues to use it. If you actually watch Black Widow scenes later on in the MCU, she's always doing like the same moves. But that's when they hit hardest is the first time you see him, I think. And I thought it was very well done. But yeah, so we see Rhodey and Tony take down Vonko. He basically commits suicide. He's programmed a self-destruct button into, uh, or a self-destruct device into all of the drones in his own suit. And it goes off and we see Tony race to save Pepper, which I thought was a pretty cool moment where he, you know, is flying literally as fast as the suit can possibly go and he gets her just in time. But then we are taken to kind of the finale where he and Pepper finally kiss and we see kind of the culmination of their relationship in this movie. And then we're taken to the post credit scene. So I'd like to hear what you guys thought about the ending of the movie. I love Peppa and Tony. I think they're so cute together. I think the kiss scene was really cute because they've known each other for so long and they've worked together for so long. And I'm sure it was a bit awkward, especially for Happy to Watch. I think that was really cute. And like, especially the kind of relationship they had, like, yes, they have feelings built up for each other, but obviously that hasn't been the forefront of their dynamic. So I'm sure it was a bit awkward for them, especially transitioning from boss, friend, coworker, what have you, to recognizing that they have feelings for each other. I'm sure it's going to be a bit awkward, but it was cute and I enjoyed it. And I think it was a nice PG introduction to them as a couple. And I like that they included Happy to kind of add it, add a little bit of comedic relief to it, which is really nice. And I love that by the end of it, we're brought back to Agent Coulson in New Mexico. I believe it's New Mexico um, to introduce what the next movie will be, which will be Thor. And I do want to throw out there, you guys. I think I told you guys this in a text message one time, maybe. But Agent Coulson, Greg Clark, super nice guy. He came into the coffee shop in Chapel Hill that our friend uh, for the audience, one of our friends lives. She works at a coffee shop and she served Greg Clark as like a regular person, not in character, obviously. And his dad is like a professor at Duke and he was in Chapel Hill for something. And she said he was really, really awesome. So big Greg Clark fans and uh, on the pod. Hell yeah. Yeah. And this um, final part of the movie, 
I liked how um, Tony and Pepper finally got together throughout the movie. You can kind of see her be his kryptonite in a way. Like you can see like the she brings out the best parts in him. So it was good to finally see that pay off at the end of the movie. He gets a girl. He gets his life back by not basically dying anymore from the arc reactor and the poisoning and everything. So um, I liked how everything kind of turned bright side up compared to how throughout the movie he was like, live fast, die young because he was dying already. So he didn't care anymore. Now he has something to live for. So um, I enjoyed that about the end of the movie and the post credit scene. Um, I didn't really know much about Thor um, back then when I watched it, but um, I did like how the post credit scene theme kept going on and on and on, introducing more characters and more solo movies. And I also like, I forgot to talk about the part where he was meeting with Nick Fury about the Avengers initiative as well. So basically like him reading through his file saying like Iron Man, yes, to join the Avengers basically, but no to Tony Stark. I thought that part was pretty funny. Like they wanted Iron Man, like the suit and everything, but not the person inside the suit. So I um, enjoy that comedy of it and the dynamic between basically earlier in the movie, he was saying like he is Iron Man, Iron Man is him. But at the end of the movie, it kind of showed that Iron Man and Tony Stark are two separate entities in a way. But yeah, so overall, um, I did like the closure of the movie. Yeah, I like it. I think that I'm probably less into the relationship between Pepper and Tony than others, but I think it works fine. All in all, it's a good wrap up here, but it's after the wrap up of the real wrap up of the action. We have this where it puts everyone in their spots for where they're going to be going forward and kind of settles the rest of the movie. I do like Don Cheadle being there on Get Your Own Roofing. He's like, I thought you were done with one line. And he's like, I had one more in me very marvel there you know i felt like the audience talking to marvel writers right there when you know i thought you were done with the quips because this movie is funny in other ways that aren't quippy you know that we brought up too so i'll say that good ending i like that we continue the post credits i'm fine with post credits i think they're fun sue me i think that it's a fun way to set it up i don't want them in every movie like if paul thomas anderson came out with a movie with a post credit scene i'd be a little weirded out by it i'd be like why why did you do that but in a Marvel movie, who cares? It's a popcorn movie. We're here for that. We're here for the comic book shit. So I enjoyed it. I like where we left off. And I like that we went to Thor next. I definitely thought it was Captain America, but Thor is next. Yeah, the the end of it is pretty hilarious. I, I'm like, you're done. I like the Don Cheadle scene where he's, you know, just watching them. I think one thing I think I forgot to mention to you guys, but we also see Fury debrief Stark and, you know, kind of talk to him shortly about the Avengers initiative. And we kind of see how Fury kind of has been playing Tony Stark, you know, the entire time that they've known each other, which is, I think, why we see such distrust of Nick Fury later on down the line. But like he tells Tony that he's not going to be considered only as a consultant for the Avengers. And I think that's kind of funny, I guess, in a way. But you see like the reverse psychology of Nick Fury kind of working on Tony where he's like, yeah, you're not you're not going to be a part of it. And you realize that he's kind of incentivizing Tony to like become more of a team player so that he can be involved. And I like the scene at the end where they get their medals from the congressman and kind of just rub his face in it. But it kind of ends up backfiring and Tony gets called a little prick. But yeah, like you guys said, the post credit scene is awesome. And them setting up you know thor coming to the big screen i remember seeing this as a kid and being super excited so i think it's you know super innovative and super effective way to get and then retain interest in the films but yeah that's the end of the discussion which means it's time for our final thoughts and our ratings mac we'll start with you what's your rating out of 100 of iron man 2 
Ooh, okay. Overall, I really did enjoy this movie. It wasn't knocking my boots off or anything like that. It was really enjoyable to watch. I liked how they introduced more characters and how the story was going to progress from here on out. I really enjoyed that. Action was pretty good. I think some of it was a bit short-lived. I think we were all in agreement that the first fight in Monaco and even the final final boss fight was a little lackluster. However, there were a lot of moments within that action, those action scenes that I thought were really good. I think Pepper's character was given a lot more and I enjoyed watching her be so kick-ass. And Natasha, of course, we stand. Nick Fury killed it. Tony, give him his Oscar. I love I love watching him in anything, especially him playing Tony Stark or I, I guess Robert Downey Jr. I like watching him in anything, but especially as Tony Stark, I think he that role was pretty much made for him. But overall, I think the movie was really good to watch. It's not my favorite from the MCU, but it's definitely one that I enjoy watching. So I'm going to give it 80 Vibranium Adams out of 100. Okay, Jalen, how about you? I second that with Mac, with everything that Mac said. Um, I do agree that this movie was enjoyable. Um, when I do think of MCU movies, it doesn't like jump out at me, unfortunately. But um, rewatching it again for the first time since 2010, I did enjoy the action. I like the psychology of Tony Stark, basically like seeing him evolve mentally as a character and seeing his struggles as um, becoming a, a superhero in the public eye. So I like that aspect of the movie. The villains were pretty good throughout the movie as well, in my opinion. And I'm still a sucker for Pepper and Tony Stark's love life, like their relationship together. I do enjoy that, especially throughout the whole entire MCU. I love them together. So for the movie overall, I would give it 80 arc reactors out of 100. What do you got, Duncan? Oh, no. We're getting real close to something that's never happened on GDT before, but I don't want to put anyone on the spot here. So I'm just going to pretend like it's not happening and continue to go on. I enjoy this film. I think it's unfairly made fun of at points. I think it's got powerhouse acting. I think it does a great job of introducing Natasha and Nick Fury to a certain degree. I mean, he was already in post credit scenes, but he wasn't really in the film yet. I don't know. I wonder if when they count box office numbers, if they count post credit scenes as part of your box office numbers, because Sam Jackson is the highest earning actor of all time. And I wonder if that's, well, he's the highest earning actor, actor of all time. Stan Lee, I believe, is the highest earning person who's been in movies of all time. Anyway, I digress. We've actually brought those specific numbers up on a past podcast. Anyway, cool stuff. Really good acting. Good introduction of characters that are going to stay there for a while. Coulson's good in his limited aspect. We said that Pepper gets more to do here. That's good. I think Happy gets more to do here, too. And that's obviously he's directing the film, John Favreau. But he's starting to like creep into the acting aspects of it because he obviously stays as a character throughout the series. So all in all, I really appreciate it. And I am going to give this film 80 War Machines out of 100. If the thing you're talking about that's never happened before is all four of us having the same rating, don't worry about it because I'm a lot less favorable to this movie. <laughs> no consensus quake, folks. No consensus quake. I thought the ground was a rumbling, but not quite. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I am going to up my original rating, though, about 10 points. So you'll I mean, you'll know what that was in a second. I did enjoy this movie a lot more than I thought I would. I think 
there's a lot to like. I think the humor is very strong. I think the acting is very strong. I think a lot of the narrative is very strong between Tony and his father. I just think uh, there's a lot to be desired in terms of the villains. I think, you know, they're well acted. Like you said, Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke, I think both do a great job with what they're given. I just think that we could have done with a lot more. But at the same time, you know, practically speaking, I, I realize it's hard to balance a lot of the material because they, you know, there are they are putting a lot into this movie. So I think it's not bad by any means. And I it definitely has rewatch value that I missed, I think, for the past 10 or so years. But for my final rating, I'm going to have to give it 73 ex-wives out of 100. Osh, man. But uh, now you've heard our ratings and that'll that wraps up the show. Thank you to our listeners for making it this far. Thank you to our returning listeners as well as to our new listeners. And we hope you enjoyed it and we'll stick around. Remember, we have four episodes a week releasing on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Our next episode releases on Thursday where we, where we will be discussing Kenobi Part 3. Stay tuned for all of our future episodes and check out our back catalog of episodes as well. Remember, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching the letters G D T. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on all the free platforms as well. Be sure to subscribe to us and also leave a five-star review if you can. You can keep track of all our episodes there, and you can also check us out on our social media platforms to stay up to date. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. That's all for this week. Thanks for coming out. See you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. We will talk to you again on Thursday.